0: Hello, and welcome to the Ask the Geographer podcast series from the Department of Education and Outdoor Learning at the Royal Geographical Society with IBG. I'm Harry. In each podcast, I'll meet geographers from around the world to ask them about topical events, timely publications and geographical research. The Australian wildfires have burnt huge areas of bushland and have decimated the natural world affecting human populations in both rural and urban areas. In this podcast, we meet human geographer Dr. Christine Erickson from Wollongong University to discuss the social dimensions of these wildfires, risk, resilience and community. Hello Christine, thank you for joining us. Could you tell us about yourself and what you specialise in?
1: Hi, yes, I am a senior lecturer at the University of Wollongong in the School of Geography and Sustainable Communities. So I am a social geographer from training, and my area of expertise in research and teaching is disaster resilience, um, particularly social dimensions of disasters. So how people are vulnerable, how risk is unequal, the ways that society creates risk and vulnerability in the infrastructures that we build, in the social networks that we create, in the policies and the social resilience initiatives that we create, all of those things come together. And I look at those in the context of Different disasters, but particularly in Australia, I look at it in the context of what we call bushfires and other parts of the world tend to call wildfires.
0: Can you describe the situation that Australia faces at the moment? And do you have any personal experience that you've been through this summer?
1: Australia has experienced unprecedented bushfires this bushfire season. So traditionally, Australia's bushfire season runs from the end of September through to March. This year, it started earlier, and it started very early. And because of the extensive drought that the country has been experiencing, the scale of the fires and the intensity of the fires has been out of proportion to what we have experienced before. So we have essentially been on fire since, early September first in the northern parts of New South Wales and then it has gradually spread down through New South Wales and through to Victoria and South Australia and West Australia has also been on fire and we have lost almost an unspeakable amount of natural vegetation, large parts of our national parks, over five million hectares of land has burned. Um, Of course, that's had very severe repercussions for our wildlife. Um, We have unfortunately also lost um, over 20 lives, four of those being firefighters to date. And The scale of the evacuations that we have experienced is also something that's new for us. The emergency services had to evacuate large stretches off the south coast of New South Wales during the New Year holidays due to the threat that the area was facing. So all round, it's been unprecedented and it's been a very scary summer for us down here.
0: The main effects appear to be in New South Wales. Is that correct?
1: There's also severe fires burning, particularly in Victoria, and they're still burning at the moment. So some of the fires in New South Wales have now been brought under control. And as we speak, it's raining in the uh, Sydney area. Um, So we might finally have reached a point where we might be able to get these fires under control so it's, it's, it is quite extensive across the Australian states and territories that the bushfires are burning. But that is also partly because that's normal. Fires are normal occurrences in summer in Australia. It's the scale, the unprecedented scale and impact that we have experienced this year that makes it different.
0: That is something people struggle to get their heads around, that fire is a normal occurrence and you're only halfway through the fire season. Is that right? It's a terrifying thought.
1: That's right. We are only midway through the fire season. And because of the drought we've been experiencing, the the country is so dry that it will take a substantial amount of rain for the soil and the vegetation to regain their normal moisture levels. Of course, now with the many, many millions of acres that have been burnt, we also face the problem of soil erosion because there's no vegetation to hold the soil in place if we get heavy rainfall. So that's the next big um, potential issue that we're facing here is soil erosion causing problems with our drinking water because the soil and all the grits and the vegetation and leaves will be flowing into our big catchment areas of water that supplies not only rural and regional areas of Australia, but also the major cities. So that's one big issue of the bushfires that um, have yet to surface. And depending on the level of rain that we get, hopefully it will be balanced and fall softly. But in the case of Australia, that's, that's rarely the case. We tend to do extremes really well. And so when it rains, it truly buckets. And that's not good at the moment, even though we're desperate for rain.
0: Can I ask a really basic question? Why do people live in fire-prone areas, like Australia, and in particular New South Wales?
1: People live in fire-prone areas because most of these areas are very beautiful. They have high amenity values, so for lifestyle reasons, people love living there. They're often um, in the middle of beautiful forests with lots of wildlife, lots of birds. People can, can go hiking, they can and go rock climbing Um, there's often beautiful views out over areas like the blue mountains there's so there's very appealing reasons for lifestyle choices to live in these areas and often you can commute from these areas into the major cities for work Um, and with increasing technology people are also able to work from home very often which means that you get the best of both worlds. You you get to have a home office in a really pretty part of the country. And because Australia has evolved naturally with fire, it means that a lot of the vegetation has developed to coexist with fire. A lot of plants require fire to be able to regenerate and their seed pots will open with fire. So it's about having the right fire in the environment. And one of the issues that we've faced since the 1960s um, has been uh, what we call a tree change. Um, A tree change is when people from the city buy up property in the country, in regional and rural areas for lifestyle reasons, and they move in to either abandoned farmsteads uh, that they do up or they build new property and a lot of the new properties that being built are in high fire danger areas so they're they're building in the most dangerous areas but for good lifestyle reasons and so it's it's a um, a balance between the risk and benefits of living in these areas and a lot of people choose to weigh up the benefits because in previous years there has been a lesser chance of you being burnt out with a big fire coming through but with climate change we are increasingly experiencing drier conditions more hot weather more high fire danger days each season which means that more more areas are facing big catastrophic wildfires And another reason is that uh, the European forest management principles that the colonisers of Australia brought with them as the key management approaches to the forested and the bushland areas in Australia are wholly inappropriate because they exclude fire. And so for over 100 years, we have been excluding fire, which has resulted in a build-up of fuel of vegetation in huge amounts of areas, vast stretches of the country have has too much fuel in the environment, which means that the fires that come through now are hotter, they're more intense, which means that they travel from the forest floor up into the canopy and become firestorms. And that's when they're completely uncontrollable. So it's, it's a fine balance between lifestyle risk and fire management practices that all comes into the equation when you think about why people live in fire prone
0: areas. That is absolutely fascinating about the seed pods opening up in intense heat and the influence of policy. Do you think the balance has shifted between risk and benefit? Has it reached a tipping point?
1: I think it's a tipping point in terms of the broad Australian general public understanding what it means to live in a fire-prone country with climate change. So we have tended to think that we'll be all right, that we've always been all right in the past. We've had some really scary incidences over the years, but we've always managed to come through it in a a matter of of days or a a few weeks. And it's been something that has built culture of mateship and resilience in Australia, which has embedded itself into this stoicism of the Australian people. I think people are now finally facing up to that we are not going to be all right in the future if we continue the way that we have so far. Mm -hmm. There's going to be increased fire danger, hotter temperatures, more drought, also a shift in vegetation because of changing temperatures. And so all in all, all the parameters that we have in place, all the fire behavioural models that we have in place will have to shift. What we have experienced this summer has shown us that we have thrown everything we knew Added and it wasn't enough it wasn't adequate for these conditions and so we will really have to rethink where we live and how we live and what our approach is to everyday life so an example of that would be is it necessary for australia to shift its summer holiday so it doesn't coincide with the peak of the fire season at the moment All the schools go on holidays, summer holidays, just before Christmas, and they head off into the coastal environments, national parks, all the beautiful places where they can camp and are also at the greatest threat from a potential bushfire. So there's some really interesting conundrums that we as as a society in Australia will have to think about because the conditions will get more intense in the future. And one of the other issues that has really brought people to a new understanding of, of the threat of fish fires is the poor air quality that we have experienced because of the, these extensive fires. And I think a much broader section of society has had to consider what the consequences of climate change are going to be in Australia because a place like Sydney has literally been suffering from poor air quality. They have had to change their everyday routines So a a country that tends every summer to spend every morning on the beach before going to work, very active outdoor lifestyles, all of that has had to stop because it's been too dangerous. It's been hazardous to breathe and it's been hazardous to exercise outside. So suddenly our urban environments who tend to, in most cases, be a bit sheltered from the bushfires because the bushfires tend to burn more on the outskirts and in rural and regional areas. Well, suddenly the city has really felt the implications and the impact as well. And that means that they now understand that they will also have to think about their futures differently.
0: So urban as well as rural communities are thinking differently.
1: I think so, and I hope that they're thinking differently to an extent where we will start to demand more accountability of the people who run this country, whether that's at state or federal government level. There's an urgent need for a national approach to climate change and the impacts of natural hazards in the future and we will need politicians and a political will that goes beyond political life cycles to actually look at the long term and that's been a major stumbling block in Australia for many many years because Each government only thinks in four-year cycles. And the last 10 years in Australia has had remarkable little stability in terms of political leadership, which means there's been even less accountability for the issues that really matter on this particular topic.
0: The wildfires have gained a lot of traction, even in the sports sections of international newspapers, as tennis stars struggle to deal with smoke and air pollution in Melbourne. You have a book published called Gender and Wildfire, Landscapes of Uncertainty, which states that these wildfires maintain, even strengthen, traditional gender roles. Can you give an example of what you mean, perhaps in the current context?
1: So some of my research has looked extensively at gendered roles and gendered dimensions of bushfires. And when I say gendered dimensions... I'm referring to the ways that we as as a society tend to have norms that we live by in everyday life and norms that have become so normal in the sense that we don't question them anymore. So the roles that a father of, of a family might take on in terms of providing for the family or taking care of the outdoor Property where the mother of the household often takes care of of the children and the domestic chores inside. That unfolds in the in terms of bushfire preparedness and response in the sense that men traditionally have been the ones who have wanted to stay and defend their properties, which is a, a long and very established practice in Australia where if people are prepared they have traditionally stayed and defended their properties and most often that has been men where women have more often evacuated with children, pets, other people who they have been responsible for in a caring capacity and what we see then in bushfires is that these traditional gender roles mean that families have often not discussed as a family unit, what they will do, what their fire plans are. And in the 2009 Black Saturday bushfires, we saw very clearly that people would argue in the heat of the moment because there were great disagreement about whether someone should stay and defend and whether someone should leave and should the family stay together. And people lost really valuable time arguing And to the extent that we know that many people died because they left it too late and couldn't evacuate and they didn't have an adequate plan in place to safely stay and defend. So that's an example of of some traditional gender roles that become magnified in a bushfire because there are consequences for other parts of a household when people have not talked across gender roles in terms of who will do what and how will you support each other.
0: I'm just wondering, as this summer in Australia has been unprecedented, if you think those gender roles might change this year, and that this year might be a year of change in attitudes and behaviour?
1: I think we've been seeing a change in attitudes and behaviour probably since around the time of the Black Saturday bushfires, both in terms of the agencies, the rural fire services, acknowledging that they were restricting their own membership base in terms of having quite a masculine, blokeish environment that was unappealing to women. So they've made a real effort in the last 10 or 15 years to draw more women into the volunteer fire service. It's quite remarkable. Australia relies very heavily on volunteers for firefighting purposes and that is unique in as much as all these weeks of fires that we've experienced this summer, that's volunteers that have predominantly been out there fighting fires and um, doing community engagement, doing warning and messaging systems. Um, they really are the backbone of Australia when it comes to fire safety. And that's unique in the world that we have this volunteer fire service and so it's really important that the fire services represent the broader public when it comes both to uh, different genders but also different ethnicities different um, language groups so there's also been a real effort to bring resettled refugees and migrants into the fire services both to embed them better into the local communities where they have a new home but also to make sure that the fire services when they go out and and work with the community that they actually reflect the the community that they have to engage with and communicate with and also rely on in in the heat of the moment when they give orders and rely on people to follow them
0: such brave men and women Have you got any other examples of communities showing resilience in Australia?
1: We see resilience in the response from Australians in terms of, say, the wildlife that are being so severely impacted by these bushfires. So a lot of volunteers work with the wire services Um, wires are the services that go out and care for wildlife whether that's in terms of moving removing and relocating wildlife that have got into people's gardens or whether that's in a bushfire when wildlife is injured and it needs care and recovery and then re-release and so that also relies heavily on volunteers and So Australians are very resilient in the way that they step up to the task when we are faced with a natural hazard of a proportion where it becomes a disaster, whether that's bushfires or flooding or cyclones in the northern parts of the country. They come together, they take care of both the community of people, but also the community of animals and livestock, and they bring a service to the community that means that the community together start the recovery process, that's really a long-term solution. I think the most important thing to understand about recovery is that it's not a matter of months or even years for these communities whether it's the community of of people or whether it's a community of wildlife or the the actual vegetation out there to recover it takes many many years for them to fully recover and so therefore it's really important that communities are involved with the community initiatives from the beginning because they're the ones that have to keep bearing the brunt of the impact of the disaster long
0: term. So you've mentioned long-term risk there. In terms of long-term responses, which of the following would you give priority for future investment? Managing vegetation, managing the built environment, modeling, education, warning systems, or community action?
1: It's, It's very difficult to prioritize future investment by singling one of those out because what an experience like this summer's bushfire crisis has shown us is that we need to holistically invest in all of those in order to be more resilient towards next or future bushfires. So there's a real importance in managing the vegetation both in terms of managing the dead vegetation, but also the regrowth that's invariably going to happen because the vegetation is adapted to fires and there will be a lot of regrowth. Um, We need to manage the built environment, particularly in terms of putting better um, systems in place for determining where new development is allowed and how to better retrofit communities who already live in high danger areas. Um, We need to evaluate our modelling in terms of the bushfire behavioural models that we have. Um, We've experienced fire behaviour this season that's unprecedented, and that needs to really be studied and analysed to understand how we can develop our modelling to accommodate these future scenarios. There's a continued need for education, be it about air quality and health issues, about where you live and how you adequately prepare. If it's about the schools and the ways that we educate children to Prepare for and be a part of the response to crisis. So, children have shown themselves to be remarkably resilient when they have been given knowledge in advance of bushfires that help them make informed decisions but also help them understand the stress that they are experiencing. So, it's really important that we work with both primary and secondary and higher level education across that scope to to build a more resilient future society that have been educated in fire safety and fire understanding and the alliances between fire plants and people and how that underpins our society and community action is equally important. Like without community action, you would not reach the many, many communities that live far and wide in Australia. It's a massive country and it requires a lot of resources to make fire-prepared and fire-resilient communities. And therefore, community is essential to make it happen from the grassroots
0: up. Lastly... Looking ahead to a fire-resilient country, what does the future hold? And how vulnerable is Australia?
1: That's a good question. How vulnerable is Australia to future bushfires? Well, we're very vulnerable. Um, Fires are not going to go away. Fire has been part of this country long before there were people here, and there's going to be fires here long after people are gone as well. It's a matter of how we learn to better coexist with fire. We have as a society, I think not just in Australia but in North America, Europe, other fire-prone areas of the world, we have had a tendency to think that we as humans are superior and that we can always be in control. And what we're increasingly experiencing with the current bushfire crisis, but also with other climate events around the world, is that we're not in control. And so humility and emotional intelligence is really going to be important in order for us to acknowledge, but also act on our vulnerability in the future.
0: Thank you so much for today, Christine, and thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to our Ask the Geographer podcast series on iTunes or SoundCloud.com. Be inspired and stay informed with the society's wide range of resources, many of which are free. School membership unlocks access to other excellent resources, including online lectures and many other tailor-made benefits for teachers and students. Access our resources at www rgs.org slash schools.